Um, welcome to another episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. We're very excited to welcome today Nana Visitor, best known for probably playing Kira Norris on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But you may have seen her in a multitude of things like Ted 2, uh, Torchwood, Battlestar Galactica, and she's done a whole lot of voices on Family Guy as well. So welcome to the show. Welcome. Now. Thank you so much. Thanks. So how would you describe yourself to someone who may not be aware of you and your work? Uh, uh, I would say that I'm an actor. Mm. Now, there's a lot of interesting disagreement about that word. But to me, when I was young, an actress was a noun and it was someone who was, I mean, when you get this picture in the 1970s of an actress, it's all very performative mm. and not very interesting and someone who's after something. So I like to call myself the verb because it's what I do and not who I am. Mm. Uh, who I am is this very human uh, yeah. in in the middle of cultivating herself, uh, continuing on the journey of that and uh, curious and open and flawed. And if if you ever watch Deep Space Nine, very much like Major Kira. Hmm. Well, this is this is interesting because I'm a massive star trek fan and Harmon has never seen it before which is great i love this so much he's ne he's not a trek he's 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 nothing he just likes people and talking to people and getting to know people so i guess how, how would you sell star trek and more specifically deep space nine to someone who's a bit reluctant about it Deep Space Nine is very different than the other uh, shows. Each one has some kind of social point of view that that it's it's looking into. Our show was really about um, okay, so we've got diversity, mm. and here we are, and we're all stuck together on this spaceship, space station rather. No one can leave, and we're not going anywhere mm. now. Now what? Now yeah. what happened? There are a lot of journeys that are not, you know, out into space, but the, you know, eight inch journey to uh, figuring yourself out and figuring out the relationships. So it's very much a relationship based show. It's very much, um, it certainly uh, gets the idea of what women were allowed to do in the 90s. Mm. Uh, it just kind of it hits the glass ceiling and opens that up mm. and uh, identity. And uh, those are the, those we had a, a, a captain, a, well, he was a commander, but then our captain was uh, a, a person of color. So that in itself changed everything. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what, what kind of, the it's a little it's a little bit of a punk rock version of Star Trek. Yeah. Things don't quite work so well, but um, we stay and figure it out. Mm. Uh, I know you've talked about this at length, but your character was also a terrorist as well, which you, you could not you could not sell that today. 
as a protagonist uh, sort of character as well. No, but back in the 90s, forget the terrorists. I think people were more uh, having a problem with the kind of woman I was. Yeah, Because yeah. I wasn't the cultural ideal. I wasn't, you know, behaving in a way. I wasn't trying to make friends and make things better. I was, you know, like, hey, I got my interests. Let's find out about you. But I'm, I'm not bowing down. Mm. And that was... You know, I think that got people looking at me strangely, even more than the terrorism, mm. but that I had that kind of traumatic background fed me and fed the story so well, because, okay, so we've gotten past the point where I'm doing that, but that, and that's when we, we tend to think of people going through something awful and okay, now the war is over. Now everything goes on. No, it doesn't. No, <laughs> no. There's recovery. There's what's left behind, as Iris Stephen Bear says, but what's left behind in your body and soul from doing that kind of work, from seeing what you see, from making those horrible choices. Mm -hmm. And it, and that's that was interesting to me. You have to live with the consequences of every action you make. Exactly. Mm. Coming exactly. Back to, coming back to what you said about being an actor, how long did it take you to grab onto that personality or grab onto that verb of being an actor? Because of course, how we live our life is that we do play lots of different roles in our life. You're, you're a mother, you're a father, you're a brother, you're a friend. You have all these roles playing. How long did it take you to grab onto that word actor? Um, I've never wanted to identify just naturally. And then I learned it is a good way to be with what I'm doing or, you know, like grandmother, wife, whatever my roles are. And I've got many, I don't identify and start playing to that, <laughs> you know, uh, including what I do for a living. Um, and that as, as soon as people don't, aren't able to go, oh, she's this kind of person. Mm -hmm. As soon as they're not able to identify me on a graph, I have freedom to be who I am. Oh, true. They, they may have expectations, but I'm probably not going to meet them. Mm -hmm. Now that mm -hmm. works against me because if I could be easily identified, I would work more. Yeah. And then you have to live to up to like a certain standard of being that person in that role. Yeah. And I, I won't do that either. I yeah. just won't do it. It's, it's how it's through my lens. It's through my strengths. It's through how I've lived and seen life. That's all I can bring. I've tried, I've, I tried to do the, the thing that would get, you know, you the acting roles and fit this okay so they want a bitch which mm. was a word that was like a casting word in mm. the 90s for sure okay so i know what that looks like and i will fill that and but i ended up first of all i ended up doing work that was very procedural for everyone involved mm. and i ended up feeling sticky on myself it was like where where am i it's the more you do that for your career your life the people around you your culture the the, the harder it becomes to find 
you again you know that's what i've noticed yeah it's interesting because that then you're just pinging to what people are saying and then based off of what people are saying and asking you to do and that those expectations lead to lead you to a point in your life and you realize like what the hell am i doing here like why that that is so well put Mm. i love that idea of pinging and that's exactly what it is and you and you follow that sonar until oh this is what they want this Mm. is what and but a life lived like that is a waste suddenly well you 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 don't have your own goals you don't have your own things that are important you know more boxed in than 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 you would want to be ever yeah (laughs) i hate boxes i hate boxes well you should be in a box only when you die one once (laughs) not Um, even then (laughs) so you know everyone has a moment in their life that when you're young you know you're you're learning when i'm when i'm saying young is like 15 16s and we're going through a life you don't have consciousness not consciousness you don't have awareness you don't have self-awareness of what who you are when was that moment in your life when you realized okay this is the person i am and now okay i can see the world differently everyone has that one or two moment it could it sometimes happens when you're 16 17 18 or when you're late in your life when did that happen with you it actually happened the moment my prefrontal cortex was formed which was 25 five yeah Un- until then <laughs> I, I just turned 25 in uh, december did you yeah. i did happy birthday happy birthday it and it makes a big difference because you really cannot use that part of your brain effectively until then it's just not finished growing and uh i was uh to tell you briefly the moment you want to hear about the moment please yeah please yeah uh i was understudying this there was a top model called twiggy uh, in the 1960s. And I did a Broadway show with her. I was in the chorus and she was starring with Tommy Toon on Broadway. And uh, I was her understudy, which meant if she was sick, I go on. Um, but Twiggy wasn't used to Broadway. This was all new to her. And uh, she didn't want me in the rehearsals while she learned her tap numbers. And there were a lot of tap numbers and a lot of Gershwin songs to sing for the character. Uh, But everyone went, don't worry, don't worry. She'll never be out. She'll never be out. We went to New York because we do a tour. But in those days, you always toured before you came back. And so we came back to New York and there was like one day before opening and everyone was like, nothing's going to happen. It'll be fine. And she was out. And they called me and I had maybe three hours. And I'll never forget those three hours to learn an entire show. I mean, tap numbers, songs. I remember being in the lobby portion of the theater where there was a piano and the the conductor was, you know, just jamming this information into me. Um, I knew the lines already, but I didn't know the numbers. So I'm terrified. This could be horrific. I could freeze. I could, you know, your nervous system takes over. Your brain isn't working, you're gone, and you're on stage, you know, in, in a Broadway show, starring in a Broadway show. And so I went to, Twi- I, I got my stuff from my chorus girl dressing room, and I went to Twiggy's uh, dressing room, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and it's the only time I've ever 
talk to myself out loud. Wow. And I gave myself a really clear choice. I said, look, this is unreasonable. You can walk out of here and never come back. You don't have to do it. You don't have to live through it. Or if you do, you have to let go of every fear. You have to dare to do it and see what happens. And don't blame yourself mm. if you fail. Don't blame yourself if you fail. And so I took that chance and I did it. And it was a really interesting experience. Mm. I went into a flow state where I was able to use all of my brain to do the performance. And it went really, really well. Was Did you expect that from yourself or do you, were you still worried? Did no, you... no, no, no. I didn't. In those days, I wasn't expecting much from myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a very good opinion of myself and I didn't dare to fail. Mm -hmm. And once I dared to fail and forgive myself for failing, uh, that opened a door for me to make my life and my world much bigger. And may I add that experiences like those, when you trust yourself and take the leap of faith, add on to you when you said that you didn't think much about yourself. And now you came through it with that. I think the self-respect went to a different level after that, I guess. Yes, uh, it, the, but it didn't stay. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, yeah, that time, but now what? So I stopped trying to uh, catch my self-respect and hold on to it. Mm -hmm. And I, what I held was starting what we were talking about uh, earlier, child's play, starting from zero, mm -hmm. having an immature's mindset and always not knowing what's going to happen, which makes it very exciting and edgy. And always having compassion for myself as an artist going, didn't work this time. Mm. Oh, well, try again instead of what I had been doing, which is just nailing myself to a wall. Well, I think that's very, that's very important because at least you can tell yourself, at least I put in the work. So even if I do fail, at least, at least I tried to begin with, you know? Yeah. When we come to this podcast and and talk talk to people like yourself, we can tell each other, well, at least we tried. If it didn't work out afterwards, at least we put in all our put in everything into it. That's right. Yeah, and that's I'm right. Now, you you what what do you do for work? I think I know, but what do you do for work? Uh, <laughs> did you say you know? You want to guess? <laughs> Uh, I think you're into comedy. Is that right? Well, I, I I write on and off, but it's not quite a full time job yet. So we still work in logistics. And Harmon's got his photography as well, so he works oh, in wow. photography as well. So, I mean, we've got those as side hustles while we still have a nine to five to sort of keep you a know bread and butter. Yeah, exactly to keep food on the table, and we've also got That's... the podcasts on the side. So. I mean, we're creating sort of breaking through, trying to sort of make a, a name for ourselves. Yeah. You know, it seems like that's the way for a lot of people these days. It's all well, bits and pieces. Yeah, but it is, and it's yeah, hard to keep track of. Or, yeah, what, whatever it is, you always have to have something on the side when you're up and coming creative. You have to have something, a, a means to an end. 
to yeah. to keep you your passions alive, I suppose. I was shocked to find out uh, someone told me I was walking the the picket line with a writer friend of mine. Right. And um, I was surprised to find out that if you're a staff writer, a, a, a new young writer here in Hollywood, you have to have another job. You can't make yes. a living doing that. That's shocking to me. Shocking. Mm. Shocking. Our storytellers, that's wrong. Mm. That That's actually a, quite a good segue into the current state um, that's happening over there in America right now with the writer's strike. I'm wondering if you could tell us, uh, outsiders, what, why is the writer's strike important this time around? Like, Why does it seem like it's sort of at a tipping point now more than well, been before i mean i think it's always at a tipping point all you know it's always there's there's not a an equal distribution or even a a, a sensible distribution of wealth but i think ai probably pushes it you know the fact that what is that app or whatever it is that you can tell them make me a story and put these elements into it and the the AI does it. Mm. And Have you around with it? No, no. No, I haven't. Mm. I haven't because I'm writing a book and it's like, nope. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he 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 loves that sort of stuff. But I, me as a writer, I'm very scared of it. Like it just sort of. Yeah. But it's so funny because when people do load up that stuff into AI, you know, write me a story, and someone shows that to me, I can tell right away there's no sort of soul soul behind behind the words there's no human element in there which oh, wow is fun. as a sort of a writer's mind i can just sort of tell oh yeah that's been auto generated by ai but that's <laughs> i don't know what it is it's just sort of i guess a writer's mindset like i can immediately can tell, tell. yeah Anyone can tell but here's the reason why i like it because i think uh since the beginning of time technology for human beings has always been a tool. And if you're smart enough to use that technology in your advantage, you're going to excel in life or in any other platform, not, not in a, not in a bad or negative way. If you can use that in advantage, I think, but I'm what I'm, what I can see from chat GBT, um, it's definitely here to stay. And remember the time when internet was here, people said, Oh, it was a fad, but look where we are right now. And uh, <laughs> it's... yes, and I'm definitely someone who who you know uh, the sci the sci-fi stories of technology being scary and bad and it's going to kill humans. Um, I don't think that's helpful, and I think you're right. We do have to learn how to live with it, but we also haven't developed the ethical handbook mm-hmm. either. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that some thought has to be put into that as well. Uh, as we develop these new abilities, we we really have to think about how it affects everybody, not just the people who use it and benefit from it, mm-hmm. but at, uh, the whole trickle, you don't even like trickle down, that's so hierarchical, but there's no other way of describing it at, at this moment but how it seeps into the atmosphere. I like that better. You know, it's like plastic is now being found in mother's milk. It's 
we 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 have to think these things through. Mm. If if we're smart enough to have technology, we have to be smart enough to use it responsibly. Responsibly, I think. Yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 definitely a, a tightrope to to walk. I think it's it's how you utilize it. That's a learning curve. It's it, be yeah, there. it's it's something that. Well, it's here. How do we sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> use it use it the right way? Mm, that doesn't yeah. doesn't kill creative work as well. Right, or the ability for people, you know, I mean, maybe at some point there will be writers who use AI and and they're like teams or something. But at the moment. It's putting, you know, people out of work and yeah. and those segues have to be thought of. Do, do you see any sort of a, um, end to the writer's strike anytime soon? I think I just read something that they were talking. So uh, it, it's possible. Yeah. But I know where we're, uh, the actors are probably striking as well. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a there's a line of us. Yeah, I know. I know the is it the DGA? They just signed a new deal recently as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, it's crazy that it's gone on this long. But uh, from from what I've read, for looking um, from the out outside, it it seems like it will probably drag on for a while. That's just sort of my my inkling from what I've what I've read. Yeah. I don't know. I I yeah. don't have my finger on the pulse. Yeah. I really don't. But it could be. Mm. Okay. Um. Moving on from that, Nana, can you do you want to take us through a journey of how you started and how you got here? Because I'll be very interested in uh, in knowing that. Uh, how uh, how I got how I got where. How? Where am I? <laughs> I wasn't a weight question. I just wanted to know. It's um, a big question. It's a very big question. I know, I know. But I, I just wanted to know the origin story of yours. So how you started and how you got into acting and how you got through your career and how you are here at this very moment. What yeah. that has been like. Can you put it in a very short story? For you? <laughs> well, I, I, I wish that I had this. I, I, I certainly had this focus very early, probably 14, that I was going to be an actor. Uh, I felt the most comfortable on stage. It was, and it was an adaptation. I was in a very rich girl's school. I didn't really belong there. My parents were in show business. And it's a strange, interesting story how I got to be there, but I was there and I was pretty much othered by the other girls and had a rough time of it and didn't do well in this school and I was miserable. And, and then I got on stage and suddenly I was really safe. And suddenly the other girls, it was a girl's school, uh, had a different opinion of me. So it became my safe place. So I was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. It was a fancy school. So we all applied to Ivy League colleges. I got into Princeton and I just kept deferring 
thinking, yeah, no, I'll 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 go, just not now because I've got a chorus job to do. I've got a dancing job this summer. I want to do it. And I kept deferring and kept deferring. And I just kept working. Mm. So um, and it's not like I went, wow, I work all the time. I feel so good. I know that I'm secure. I was even today, I'm the same way. I'll never work again. I'm pretty sure I will never get another job until like the a, next one comes up. And it's not like it's, yeah. it's not like this superstitious thing I'm doing to myself. I truly go, probably not. Mm. And I was that way when I was young. And I um I put myself in the line of fire over and over and just kept standing back up for jobs that were I was not qualified for for jobs that were a reach I just kept going hey what about me let's let's try uh and when I got knocked down I just yeah stood back up was it just a uh, like a constant race as an actor yeah, yeah. oh yeah mm. oh yeah I mean, I was in a really competitive field in Broadway, doing Broadway shows, early television, soap operas, all of it was a lot of competition. And let me tell you, you you know, you think about going into the waters, I have to tell you, I was going to a convention, a Star Trek convention in Perth, and my, um, my, Agent said, you know, I just I just went swimming in the Indian Ocean. It's the most wonderful thing. And I had this dream of swimming in the Indian Ocean. So I said, yes, even mm. though it's 30 hours to get there from where I am, mm. I'm going to Perth. And it took forever to get to Perth. And I got there and I got in a cab. And the, the driver said, what are you doing in Perth? And I thought, you know, I'm in a romantic mood. I said, I'm here to swim in the Indian Ocean. And he said, oh, really? Woman was just eaten uh, by a great white. Sorry. No, no, no. no. But uh, what I was saying is, and I never did go swimming. I don't like that, that I didn't do it anyway. I should have. But I I'm, I have a healthy fear of sharks. Uh, uh but walking into a room with other women mm. who who in the day did not support each other mm. women it was like there's one sexy box to fill and the sexy box is the biggest role and uh if you're the girl if you're the girl next door whatever that you're going to have very few lines. That's mm. just the way it works. So going into a room with other women, we there was one job to get and we were all in competition and it was like being in a shark tank. Mm. It was people, there were some people who would try to destroy the other people. It was uh, not fun. It, it was not, so you just had to yeah. kind of, bring your walls and, up you know we but we all put on uh, Tara Brock the writer Tara Brock has a wonderful uh concept for it that we all put on spacesuits to keep ourselves safe in the world and go out and you know and then true self is inside that spacesuit we, but we have things to protect ourselves 
But then we start to identify with the spacesuit and think that's who we are, and it isn't. Mm. It's just how we keep ourselves safe. So back then, it was difficult not to go, you know, I'm someone who's cut off. I'm someone who doesn't talk to other women. I'm someone who doesn't care what other people think because I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to be affected by what's going on around me. Mm. That was my spacesuit. And for years, I thought that was me. And it's not. And it's not how I would go into a room these days. When did you realize that it wasn't you or it wasn't, it was just a spacesuit? Did you add a moment? Uh, no, that has been a cultivation of a lifetime. Uh, yeah. Mm. Takes a long time to do that, I guess. But I, but I think it doesn't if people talk about it. Yeah. And this kind of intergenerational talk, I do hope that you too and your listeners hear that and go, oh, I don't need to identify with the things that I do to keep myself safe in the world. That's that's very different than who I am mm. because otherwise the spacesuit gets stuck to you. You can't get out of it. Mm. Did, did that competitive nature of the business did you did you ever have any moments where you were so close to just throwing up your hands and just quitting oh yeah mm. I wanted to quit all the time I cried as a young woman all the time uh I I suffered way more than I needed to to do what I do mm. you know I think because I was identifying and I was buying into that there's this hierarchy and, you know, if you're not on this show, you're not the, the actor. And it's like, mm. it's, it's really easy to buy into all the stuff that everyone around you who's trying to crack the whip to get you where you need to be for their sake. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to start believing all that stuff. And, you're also you're on your own did it feel like you were on your own island and you didn't have um you know the sort of support as, for an actress to sort of keep going no i had my mother who was a really kind of she was remarkable she was a ballet teacher in new york who taught every important dancer just about that there was she came from a family uh called the Charisse troupe they were vaudevillians and it was my grandmother and her 11 children and they all danced and they toured the world dancing so they were all dancers um and uh my uncle Nico landed finally when the act broke up he landed and became a teacher here and taught a very famous American dancer called Sid Charisse, married her and uh, taught Sid. My mother went to New York and taught all these people and became a coach. Mm -hmm. And she had, a, she had, a, I don't know what her source was, but it was very different than what everybody else was saying back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the concepts I, know now came as kernels of information from her mm. so is do you think there is a, a sort of support network within 
you know, actresses today in Hollywood versus when you were doing it back in the day coming up? I hope so. Mm. I I hope so. I'm I, I you know, it's hard for everybody to think on all different kinds of frequencies, but I just listened to two really established uh women actors. They were getting some kind of award for the work they did in their their creators and they said something like you know that that person thought I was a nobody and mm-hmm. and it was like oh that language oh that language mm-hmm. nobody somebody it, it, it's it's I think we need to drop those silos and those I've arrived and you haven't of course there are a lot of reasons why people love that hit that we get a chemical hit of feeling like someone's below us. Mm. Um, And it's hard to wean ourselves from it, but it's not helpful. And I think it stops mentorship. And I think mentorship is one of the most important things that uh, humans can do. I agree with that part. And because if, if the older generations aren't teaching us and showing us guidance, then who would with, with stand up comedy over here is very very competitive mm. <laughs> it's um comedians all the time are always sort of behind closed doors they're always wondering well why did he get that gig and not me <laughs> why why did he get the better paying gig what why didn't why didn't I get uh, invited interstate to do the road show you know it's sort of it's it's a lot of the yeah. sort of same sort of sort of sort of thinking as well. And that's the thing. That's um I, I do I do think being autotelic is very useful. And being autotelic means you have your own goals, your own reasons for doing things. And it also autotelic really means that you do something for the sake of the doing, mm-hmm. not whatever you get. So if you can get to the mindset of, I just want to be on stage. How can that happen? And not care where it is or who got what. If you can really, and it's really focusing on what you want to accomplish and really thinking that through. I I think when you get to the stage, when you're thinking, well, how can I sabotage this? How can I sabotage my colleague so I can (laughs) roll? I think that's yes. when you really have to stop, stop and reflect <laughs> of, of why you're actually doing what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, in those shark rooms, women would try to sabotage each other. Yeah, absolutely, in such subtle, interesting, creative ways. But of course, they're wasting their creativity hmm. on the room before yeah. they walk in, and it's those three minutes that count, and nothing else. Do you have any interesting stories in that specific way that someone tried to sabotage you or you've seen someone try to sabotage someone? Please, please tell us an interesting story. No, I no, I it would it would be a variety of things. It would be talking very loudly about the relationship that you have with, oh, I can't wait to see so and so, the mm. casting director we're gonna go in to see, or oh my god, who's this producer? Oh, I know him. 
And it's it's those things. And it was very obvious that that's why they would be doing it. Or there were just a million different ways going, oh, that's interesting Mm. what you chose to wear. Hmm. Just little (laughs) subtle, subtle things. Yeah. It's not very subtle, but... uh, (laughs) It would it would be effective. Do you think so? How do you? I just want to ask: How do you set yourself up to go on stage? Oh, so um, I write in comedy now. So I did stand up comedy quite a while ago, but now I just help friends work on their sets because I was ah. tremendous, tremendous stage fright when I did it. That I just felt sick every time before going on stage i loved loved the writing process but that moment that just before moment before you go on stage i just felt sick doing it every single time but when i was up there i loved it so i had to sort of take a step back from actually performing stand-up comedy because of that sort of, yeah because of that moment in between but you love it when you're out there yeah exactly so, 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 so and when, I, it's I funny because you my... oh, so, so, sorry, I'll, I'll just, I'll just finish this. I, it's, I, I've, I've acted as well on and off in, in sort of local, local productions, and I don't get stage fright because I know I'm going up there with a group of people, so there's a bit more of a, a safety net and a collaboration in place, so I don't feel as nervous that moment before going up because I know I'm going to be in a company with other other actors so if if it if we if if it fails we all fail but if you're going up on stage doing stand-up comedy it's just you you're you're the one failing (laughs) so yeah and (laughs) And... you're the one failing and (laughs) you failed yeah, yeah, I know. Upholding. Exactly. This really circles back to to what we were talking about earlier. But yeah, I know. Yeah. Sort of I don't know how to sort of over overcome that by myself. Me... By myself. It's sort of doing it solo is is very hard for me to sort of overcome. Let me tell you, let me share something with you, uh, and I'll make it as quick as possible. Uh, Dr. Kelly McGonigal wrote a book called The Upside of Stress, and in it I found the secret for me, and it's not a secret, it's simply a truth, and it's reframing. Uh, what happens when you're falling in love? You get butterflies, yes. You your heart goes, you get sweaty palms, right? Mm-hmm. What happens when you get stage fright? The exact same things. Yeah. Your nervous system responds, we have to put purpose and meaning to it so our bodies your nervous system gets involved to shoot the right chemicals to help you focus because they're the only thing your nervous system is telling you is this is important to you so i'm here to help you Mm. i'm here to support whatever you want to do just see if you can mess around with that reframing of it it's not because you can say to yourself, if and I used to, yeah. Um, when I get those feelings, I'd go, I must not trust myself. I must feel deep down, I'm not ready for this. Mm. And that's a spiral. Yeah. That causes a whole spiral in your body and in your brain. But if you go, 
this is important to me. I love this. And my body's right there to help me do it. Mm. Well, that Yeah. I, I I get I get snippets of that all the time, that sort of end result that that you're sort of there for, but it's it, I, I, I found myself being more immersed into writing that that sort of performative element of myself sort of went away. But when I've had sparks of that performance again, like doing improv, for instance, it sort of, it comes flooding back. I'm like, oh yeah, I do love this. I do love this. Look, you're very young. You may come back to it much later. I mean, there's no telling, but you'll know. You'll yeah. go, oh, I'm doing this. And that's that. You're, you're quite the analytical thinker when it comes to sort of life and just philosophies on life. And I love it's your- It's annoying, isn't it? I, my oh, family, I love your my boys are like, ugh. <laughs> I, I love your Instagram reels. Dan, Dan hates when I do that because I, I think like that too. He I does, like to, yeah. He's a really deep thinker. Because <laughs> you have to think, and I believe that people don't realize what thinking is because it's very, very, very hard to think clearly. Here's what thinking is like. And yet this is how you think. I think you should think. I think you should think. Yeah, it's funny. Um, how I think you should think is that you should sit on a table with yourself and your five personalities or six personalities or how many ever you have. And you have to talk to them. And you have to be smart enough to answer back, get an answer from one of those personalities. And if you think of something and you break it down to a molecular level and you break things down and you see, okay, um, you have to dig deep. If you can't dig deep and if you can't think, then I don't think you can... It, it, Sorry for me to calm now, <laughs> but it's you have to think it like like that, and I love thinking that way. And I don't, I think it's a very hard skill to learn over time to mm. think analytically. I I wish I had more of it. So I very I very much envy uh, what what you do. <laughs> well, I think it's that so put, um, so, actually, yeah, it's so well automated. Yeah, but comedy is a shortcut to that. It's like. Uh, it's like an immediate reaction. It's an immediate hit to nerve nerves mm -hmm. that can make us understand truths about ourselves. So I think you just have a different system, mm -hmm. you know, a different working system to get there. I love uh, but yeah, I think it, it, awareness is is so. I mean, if you're not aware, the lights are out. Mm. And I love how you compared it quickly to comedy because I've seen comedians do that because how comedians think the way um, is so different to how a normal person would think. And when you as an audience listen to it, it just blows your mind that, wow, how did the hell did this person break it down to that level? And how the yeah. because you can because they see a different side of that event or whatever happened in a in such an interesting and a funny way that it just it turns the lights on back again but I had that's a, right i had a question when uh when we were talking about that um how a room full of women would do some things to sabotage other women's performances do you think that would have been happening that something like that would have been happening in the men's room as well so let's say in an audition room where all the guys are sitting all the boys are sitting do you think that would have uh been happening it, uh maybe in some 
like for no i don't i i think it's it's i i think women were set against each other very much by not having a lot of choice and, and not a lot of you know chairs at the table mm-hmm. uh i i i think it was very much the way women you know feminism was on the rise and a lot of people were uncomfortable with it and there was you know it was it was everything it was women can do anything women need to be you know put back down into the home it it, it was a difficult time uh a weird time but probably weird for every every time i say it's difficult for women i think it's difficult for men too any time the culture our culture dictates what we're supposed to do how we're supposed to do it uh the institutions are saying we need you to do this and you to do that uh, and and it's not necessarily to our personal strengths i think it's nightmarish it's like after world war ii when women took over a lot of the jobs it was decided you know that now the men are coming home these men who have been through hell who have been traumatized who now we would say have post traumatic stress are coming home and being told get to work don't figure anything out don't talk about it get back to work and women you've been doing well in these jobs you have to stay home and support these men who are hollow eyed going out to work i mean i'm not saying it was everybody like that but a good number that had to be true of and uh that's not so it's all of us <laughs> we are all affected men and women mm. hmm. what is feminism i i never never really understood what feminism is and again i look at things very differently um and could you explain to both of us dummies what feminism is no because it is so many different things to so many different people i can just tell you what i take it as and it's the ability to make choices for myself mm-hmm. and the ability to uh have parity for doing the same job that a man does and uh the the ability to go to a doctor and not expect them to have unconscious bias or to assume you know when hysteria was taken off as a disease as a as an actual thing to cure in the 1980s it was taken off the books women were treated for hysteria <laughs> so there are a lot of old ideas that are still in there that need to be shaken free but that's what the feminism feminism to me is about control of my body having agency and uh the ability to make a a the same wage that a man would do for the same job mm. okay um man this has been such a good, good time you you're so you're such a deep thinker and i just i just love that about you so thank you thank for you doing this well We'll start to wrap up. Um, we'll do some like I guess um quick fire questions, I suppose. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I cool. guess it's a good good way to sort of sort of uh, so many more things we could ask you, but 
I know your time is precious as well. So um, working on Family Guy, what was, how did you come? Oh my God, Seth MacFarlane. I got called in and I didn't watch the show very much, but my husband loves it. So I'd watch it while I went, while he had it on, it was a little rough for me, but um, when I went in, I had no idea that Seth and I, I was lucky enough to, to record with him. So it was a performance and to watch him go from, see, I mean, I can't even talk as fast as he changes characters. Uh, Cause he's, I was playing, a scene with five people and there were two of us you mm. know he's just remarkable and sweet and kind he's one of my favorite people uh out here he's really a good guy and he throws i don't know if it'll ever happen again because of covid he mm. threw the best christmas parties i have ever been to in my life oh my god they were amazing so I hope that comes back, but they were obviously gone during COVID. The, those recording sessions during Family Guy. So Seth, Seth was actually there in the room doing all the voices while you were there, because sometimes you know, with animation, you never you never see your co-stars. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I was I was amazed, and it could be that the part was so big that you know. And, and for the other uh, shows that I did, he was not there. But for Brian's Got a Brand New Bag, we did that show together. Mm. Um, Rene Abergenois, I said that right, didn't I? His last I'm name? Sure yes. Uh, um, do you can you share any any memories with working with Rene? Uh, that man again. He's just so much of his soul and humanity shined through in every single character he portrayed, no matter how gruff they were, or he, he just brought so much of his humanity and soul to every every role he was in, I, I thought. Talk about a deep thinker. Uh, he was, and a deep, he, he had a, a, an ocean in his soul. Mm. Uh, and he taught me, I, I wasn't big on poetry. I've studied poetry and la, 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 but I wouldn't sit down and read poetry. And he got me back into it and said, no, 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 for this show, let's not just show up. Let's let's read things to them. And uh, th through reading these pieces, I, I started reading poetry again. Uh, and he said goodbye to me on stage the last time because... Uh, we did a poetry reading and there was a, a, a piece that he read about saying goodbye. And uh, he said goodbye to me on stage and I'll never forget that moment and the depths that he, it was like his soul took mine and we went down and deep and then back up and we were still on stage. Mm. Yeah, he, yeah, such a loss. He was such a great performer. Oh, such a great friend. And I miss him. He seemed like a nice, a really good human as well. He was tough. He yeah. had his tough moments. Oh, my God. Sometimes when that mask had been on too many hours, he mm. could get very salty. And, uh, you know, uh, you just, you knew to, 
Renee has had it with the mask. He's, he's, uh, every, he's having one of these days, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. It would get too much for him, of course. I don't know. How, I don't know how those guys did it with the heavy makeup. I really don't. Mm. But um, they managed to. He was like, he, as you said, he his humanity came right through. Mm. Um, so, with us being, uh, uh, you know, comedy writing photography, what comedians do you like? What writers do you like? What photographers do you like right now? You know, I can't give you names, but I but I go, I love that. Even with, there's only one musical person that I know the name of that I can hold on to the name. I don't hold on to names, but I hold on to images. Um, I like things that are, uh, have shades of gray, things that are beautiful and yet some kind of, uh, uh, touches your heart in a way that hurts just a little bit in terms of photography mm. in terms of uh comedians i love anyone who can manage to be vulnerable and uh, i love clowns not mm. not circus clowns but clowns who can be vulnerable and show their own shortcomings so that we can identify with them I don't like comedians who take other people down. Mm. I that's that's not so interesting to me. It's a sort of self-deprecating humor. I like that as well, actually. It's very funny. And yeah, I like how they break things down. But let me ask you this. Are you are you a spiritual person? And if you are, I just realized this while you were talking. Uh, if you are a spiritual person, how's your relationship with God like? I feel like uh, I am here. Look, is there anyone unclear about if there is a God and whatever that God looks like, how they, it, he, she wants us to behave? Is there any doubt? Does everyone know? I think everyone has a moral compass in them. If you are born and raised in a decent place and you have you know, um, basic necessity and means that everyone at the end of the day does have a decent moral compass unless you're a... But, but if you're asked, if you're asked, if there is a God, how mm. does he want you to behave? What What is a human meant? What What is a good human? What would a good human do? I feel that I've been entrusted with that because I've been given a body. And so that's what I do. And that's my contact with whatever is out there is I go, gotcha, I will do that. I'll mess up, but I'll keep trying to do that good human and be compassionate and to be kind and to uh, be there for others and to let people know they're not alone. Mm. I feel like this is my chance to do it. I don't need to be asking. I know what it is. Mm. I just need to keep trying. And it's funny. It amazes me that no one came up to you and told you, no, no, this is how you should think what you just said there. It's that your realization over time. And I don't know if God exists or doesn't exist or whatever it is, blah, blah, or whatever it is. But I think that's, that's a great way of looking at things. And I don't know how 
to put it, but I think that's the moral compass I was talking about. Mm. I think also live your life with empathy towards other people as well as sort of a, a code that I try and live by. And towards yourself as well. Yes, that's true. Well, that's, that's, that, that's harder to do. <laughs> that's That comes first because you can't really understand compassion until you feel it for yourself, mm. until you accept it from yourself. You yeah. can't really, you don't have much to give. And this is something I read once and I know we're going uh, quickly, but just let me say the difference between empathy and compassion actually involves our body and chemicals. And it comes from a different part of our brain. Empathy is, I feel what you feel. If I see someone in a fire, I go, oh my God, that's so awful. That must hurt. And I can feel it in my body. And really what it is sometimes is my nervous system taking over. Mm. But there's not a part of me that is necessarily going to act to help. Mm. When we go to compassion, which comes from a different part of our brain, our body actually gives us a chemical that says, focus, now you're going to help. Yeah. And it's it's like being a firefighter. You jump past the feeling bad for someone into, I am going to help you. The worst of it is sympathy where you actually are going, oh, you poor thing. I feel bad for you, but I have no intention of helping you. Empathy, we jump to where they are. Compassion, you mm. go, I'm going to do something, big or small. I'm mm. going to act. Yeah. So, was the heart of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, Empathy I, versus compassion. Yeah. This is what I learned from the I, podcast. I, I, I just love this so much. And I... This is a podcast all about life and people's life philosophies and how they live, understanding their why, talking a bit about their career as well. And I sort of made a conscious effort because I'm such a, such a Star Trek fan not to make this just a Star Trek podcast. So I hope we um, asked you some questions and uh, had a nice conversation with you that you've, and you've also had questions that you've never been asked before. That's what I hope we achieve from this. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, oh, this has been a wonderful conversation. I love it. And <laughs> I feel like I've been in Australia now. I miss <laughs> Australia. So this oh. kind of feel like I made connection. No, you haven't. No, I you know, have to be here. <laughs> I know it's such a long way away, but I, I hope, you, hope you're down for a, a convention or something. It, I hope so too. And if you do come this time, please go swim in the ocean because <laughs> there's still people swimming. So just, just go with them. That's fine. Please. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yes. Awesome. For sure. And I also hope to see you in some sort of Star Trek role again as Kira. I just love that. That would be wonderful. Thank you, both oh, of you. It's actually, been yes. I just, just occurred to me because we have John Billingsley on the podcast next week, this time next week. Oh, excellent. Is there one question you would want to ask John? Ooh. And then we'll end with this. I love it. Um, I would I would ask John uh, what he had for dinner last night. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Done. Okay. Thank you so All right. much. Thank you so awesome. much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. You too.